Welcome to Be Brave at Work, a podcast devoted to helping you take the next step in your workplace. Each week, we'll be talking with real people with real stories about things they have not said or done or have said or done in their workplace that required bravery. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. This is Ed Everts, and I'm the founder and president of Excellius Leadership Development. Welcome to Be Brave at Work, a podcast devoted to helping you take the next step in your workplace. I hope you'll listen to our past podcast conversations, and if you'd like to hear past episodes, go to BeBraveAtWork.com, subscribe to our podcasts, and learn some valuable lessons about bravery at work. My new book, Drive Your Career, Nine High-Impact Ways to Take Responsibility for Your Success, is now available in paperback, on Kindle, and in audio at Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, and any online book retailer you prefer. Check out Drive Your Career today. Our podcast today is sponsored by Cabot Risk Strategies. Based in Woburn, Massachusetts, Cabot Risk Strategies has created innovative and customized insurance strategies for individuals and families, businesses, nonprofits, commercial real estate, and public entities. Cabot's client base continues to expand both within the region and within the markets they serve. And if you are looking for customized insurance services and solutions, contact Cabot at 800-222-5963 or visit them for more information at cabotrisk.com. I'm really excited to welcome to our podcast, Be Brave at Work Today, Renee Rodriguez. Considered by many as the leading authority on leadership and influence, Renee is a best-selling author, keynote speaker, leadership advisor, and transformational speaker coach. For the last 27 years, Renee has been researching and applying behavioral neuroscience to solve some of the toughest challenges in leadership, sales, and change. As an entrepreneur and CEO of multiple companies, Renee integrates a practical business approach that inspires his audiences to take action. Through his keynote, boot camp, workshops, and proprietary Amplify course, he helps us own our backstory to build the frame for not only our unique value propositions, but also a beautiful picture of life. He also has a best-selling book, Amplify Your Influence, which can be found on Amazon and, of course, all other major retailers. Renee, welcome to Be Brave at Work. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for your time. And I did somewhat of a light intro of you. And I'm just wondering if you could take a few more minutes to tell our audience a little bit more about how you are currently interacting in the marketplace. Well, so right now, the the main focus is really around helping leaders, communicators, people that, and of course, leaders is a pretty broad definition but people that need to communicate ideas into difficult places. How do you share an idea in, and even capture attention in a highly distracted world right now? And when you can leverage the science behind what captures attention and then teach people the methodology on how to keep it, and then teach them how to share a story that delivers a valuable message. That's really what we're helping people do. And that's that to me is the science of influence. It's the science of communication and helping people be more effective and increase their impact. Well, you mentioned an interesting point that I'd love to spend a moment on, which is what is a leader? Uh, you know, a lot of our listeners sometimes don't even know if they are a leader or not, or they think that you're a leader if the word lead is in your title, right? So, you know, from your experience and the work that you've done with clients, you know, how do you define who a leader might be? You know, I had a conversation with Ken Blanchard, the, 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 the amazing Ken Blanchard, 2006, and I asked him the same question. And he gave me an answer that, I, that stuck with me. He said, a leader is anybody who influences another person. And when you look at it from that perspective, I think we know bosses or people that have authoritative leadership. They're a leader because of authority or title. But if you had a choice, would you follow them? 
that's really sort of the litmus test. And I know people that don't have the authority that we would follow anywhere, anywhere. And so the ability to influence is the how of leaders. And so if somebody is influencing you, they're leading you. So that's how I define leadership. And when you think of this word influence, I think that's another word that some people tend to mutilate or not really understand. To, just to pick your brain for a moment, Renee, you know, what, what does influence mean? If I can influence you, of course, in positive and productive ways, you know, what does that mean as a leader? Well, influence is basically to have an effect on an outcome. And so that, that's the broadest definition of it. But I think to understand influence, we look at its opposite. We look at, say, okay, so let's look at the lack of influence. You walk in a room and no one notices. You tell a joke and no one laughs. You sell a product and no one buys. You cast a vision and no one feels inspired to follow. Let's look at what's the feeling behind that. I would venture to say that that's probably one of the worst of the human experiences because we feel insignificant. And we feel insignificant because our behavior has no impact on the world around us. So let's look at the opposite of that, which would be to have influence. You walk in a room and people take notice. You tell a joke and people respond and laugh. You sell a product and people buy. You cast a vision and people feel inspired to follow. That feeling is the feeling of significance. And we have significance because the things that I'm doing, saying and believing, have an impact on the world around us. And so influence is about significance and impact and the ability to move things forward. Very different than manipulation and persuasion. In what ways? So again, for our listeners who may experience these in the workplace, you know, how does influence differ from manipulation or persuasion? So manipulation would be the use of persuasive skills or techniques to an extreme. And that's the first part, it's to an extreme. The second part is would be at the expense of someone. And the third part would be typically underhanded or unknown to the person that's being manipulated. And so influence is the opposite of those. It's not, it's not about the extreme. It's about to the benefit of both parties, to the benefit of a vision. And so if, if, you are, if you're smoking or if somebody's eating poorly or about to walk off a cliff, I better use every influence tool I have to get them to not do those things. And I'm probably going to be pretty blatant about it and not going to be underhanded. And so influence is, is very upfront, it's transparent, and it's for the purposes of betterment. And so it's a very different piece. And so people oftentimes confuse the two, but they're, they're nothing alike. And so, and anybody who says they don't try to influence people would probably lie to you about something else too. Every human being, it's innate in us to influence. Ever since we were kids, we wanna influence people to feed us, give us candies and let us go on the app a little later at night. You know, women influence men for things. Men influence women. It's just, it's in the workplace. We influence our bosses. Our bosses influence us. It's happening all the time. And I would say it's the number one skill that leads to satisfaction in life. Well, a lot of psychologists would say that the number one objective any of us have in our lives is to feel as though we've made a difference. And I think that ties to some degree to, I think, what is a powerful word, which is significant, right? That you want to feel as though what you've said or what you have done has had some degree of significance on others, either spiritually or mentally or, you know, actively. And, you know, I'd love to talk a little bit about that word significance, right? If somebody is significant, what do they do or what is it you're feeling that come, helps you come to that conclusion? Well, I think when it comes to significance, you, you know, again, go back to the opposite. The, we know that the opposite of it is we do something and there's no impact. There's no, people don't even take notice. 
And the feelings of loneliness come into play, depression, anxiety, all sorts of mental illness can follow from that same feeling, which of course can be cured by feeling like that. You watch somebody who's depressed do something and people respond and it's like they, they take notice. It changes brain chemistry the moment we have that. And so when we think about, you know, us trying to figure out what life purpose is about and I, what we have discovered in our process is that life purpose is the, is the connection between who I was and how I was raised and the values that I have to the work that I do today. And we have come to figure it out that, that we do the work that we do is to do is to solve one of two questions, either to heal our past or honor it. And when we look at it from that perspective, I ask uh, our clients all the time, tell us something that makes you unique. And they sit there and, you know, they, they say, well, you know, or I always say, who are you? What do you do? And what makes you unique? Those three questions. And you watch them stumble and fumble and fall. And they say, I, my name is this, I do this. And what makes me unique is I, we care about our clients. And it's like, okay, great. No, no, not real impactful. And it's not, it's not that it's not impactful because of the content. And this is what's important. Caring about people is very impactful, but it's in the sequence of which it was delivered. And so we say, okay, so let's throw that methodology out of the window. We're not going to answer that sequence again. Let me ask you a different question. What makes you unique? You said care about people. And I said, okay, would you say that caring is one of your personal values? And you always see the same response. I'm like, yeah, it's almost like this connection. If I didn't know that my uniqueness is also tied very closely to my personal values. The reason is, is I've done this thousands of times and we, we, we have values that when you ask the people what their values are, they struggle to come up with them. But if I ask you what makes you unique, it's much easier to come up with some terms and some adjectives. And then we figure out is that if we have a certain value set, we try to live those. And we have a pride and sense of what makes us feel the best is when we're doing those things. And so the backdoor approach to, to values is the question of what makes you unique. So then we go, okay, let's introduce some science. Science says that our values are formed between the ages of nine and 13. So I always ask the question, okay, who was around and what happened during that time? And they look at me and say, so it's, and I tell them there's either one of two stories or sometimes they both come out as what we call a lighthouse story. Somebody was there that was the epitome of caring about people. I mean, it was my mother. She's always taking all the kids from the neighborhood. She'd always cook for them, whatever it was. Or it was a, what we call a foghorn, the warning sign of who we didn't want to be. Maybe it was somebody that should have been there and they weren't. Or maybe it was somebody that was, we wanted kindness and they were cruel. And so they were the foghorn. And we learned from foghorns and lighthouses. But those become the, the, the foundational pieces of someone's origin story. And when I can share with you, instead of saying what makes you unique, I'd say, you know, I remember growing up about my mother. And she would always be the one cooking for all the neighborhood kids. She'd come out with, you know, she'd make a tray of popsicles, homemade popsicles with real strawberries, and she'd hand them out to all the kids. And, you know, it was just one of those things that she did. But she, every Sunday, she'd ask Johnny, make sure, make sure Johnny knows that we're having dinner right now, invite him over. Now, I didn't like Johnny all that much, but for some reason, she always invited him. Now, when I got older, I realized that Johnny, his dad was an alcoholic, and his mother worked full-time nights. And so a lot of times, he didn't have anybody to cook for him. And that, that's the kind of behavior that my mother was. And so I realized all of a sudden, here's this value set founded in a story. So I believe it when, you, when this, this next phrase comes. So I knew that no matter what work I did, I wanted to care about people in the same way my mom did. And so now I believe the value set of saying I care about people because it's founded in a very powerful story. And then I can say, let's say that, you know, if, if I'm a consultant or if I'm in real estate or if I'm in insurance or if I'm a teacher, you know, say if I'm a teacher, and, you know, we say, okay, so, you know, so I knew I wanted to care about people. And so every time I see one of those students come in, I think about how my mother treated Johnny and how I'd want somebody to treat my kids. 
And all of a sudden, now somebody that cares has this powerful story that we believe in and we buy into versus somebody said, I just care. Or let's say it was in real estate. Well, you know, I see every single one of my, my, my clients that comes to the door as the ability to create a home so that, you know, like Johnny didn't have structure, but I get to create that structure for them. And now it's believable and you stand out and you differentiate through story. And it's just any story. It's your personal signature story. It's as unique to use your own signature. Well, it's interesting how many people, and I'm kind of smiling on the inside because the absence of being able to answer who you are, what you do, and to modify your question, you know, what do you value is not something most people can answer really well. And yet you would think ironically that, you know, what I value and who I want to be and how I want to be seen by the world would be something I could answer very easily. But either the words or the concepts are so evasive to us that we, as you say, stumble or fumble a little bit to answer it. Or you might say, great questions. Let me think about it overnight. And tomorrow I'll come back and hit the cover off the ball. But it's not something I've given a lot of thought of. And I love the word significance because when I think about being brave at work, I do think it's partly driven by your desire to be significant in respect to the relationship you have with others, the ability to influence the awareness others have of how they might be experiencing them. And I'm just curious, Renee, in the work that you have done and the speaking you have done and the people you have met, you know, where has bravery shown itself, you know, frequently or the most or in what ways has bravery shown itself in respect to people who want to kind of influence or you know, impact others in a positive way? You know, I love that question, first of all, the bravery at work. And so a lot of the work that I've done is we're not influenced, but I started in change management and helping companies change their culture. And in all the years, we've trained over 100,000 people on this. I come back to one thing. If you want to determine or increase your culture and people's satisfaction at work, it comes down to one thing. Can I speak the truth at work? Can I speak the truth? This works, this doesn't work. I'm happy, I'm not happy with this. I agree, I disagree, but can I speak the truth? And a lot of organizations don't create a safe environment for people to speak the truth. Leaders will say, well, my door is always open. And, but yeah, you say that, but I just saw you bite someone's head off for coming in that door. And so there's the incongruency in leadership. A lot of times it shines through that people actually listen to of whether they will or they won't. So bravery to me is the ability to whether or not it's safe or not to speak your truth. To be, able to, to be able to learn how to be able to say, you know what, hey, you know, Ed, you hired me here not to say yes to you all the time. You hired me here to sometimes challenge the thinking, not the idea. I trust you as a leader and I want to follow you as a leader, but I also need to bring my best thinking. And so I'm, I'm going to tell you, I don't agree with the plan and here's why. And the bravery to be able to do that, but then the skill set, I think I tell people it gets a lot easier to be brave when you learn a skill set to diffuse people and disarm them. Do, you know, instead of just saying, no, I disagree, right? Well, then they're going to disagree back to you because now it's a battle of who wins. But if I say, look, if I understand my role here, it's to say the things that other people are unwilling to say so we can figure it out here so we can win in the marketplace. Do you agree with that, Ed? And they say, well, yeah, of course. I said, now I chose to work with you because I trust you and I believe in you as a leader. And one of the things I love about your leadership is that you give us the space to speak our minds. I just want to make sure that it's okay that I give you my thoughts on this and we're on track. And of course, if, yes, of course. Now you've tilled the soil before you plant the seed of disagreement. And so now all of a sudden, but it, it takes bravery to be able to speak your truth and to be able to deal with, you know, let's just say you're in a place where the, the truth isn't welcome. Well, then you've got to be brave to be able to either speak your truth to accelerate the inevitable dissatisfaction you're going to experience over time 
or be quiet and stomach it and not complain. Well, a large part of what you're describing in some circles is called psychological safety. And we've talked about this topic a lot on our podcast, which is a leader creating an environment where people can say what they need to say or do what they need to do without feeling judged or belittled or demoralized, et cetera. And I don't mean to throw you a curveball, but I would love to hear thoughts you might have if I'm a team member, because oftentimes we talk about leaders creating a psychologically safe environment, but yet sometimes it's the leaders that aren't creating it. And in fact, in most companies I've worked with, and it's the leader isn't creating it, right? They're looking for help because they're not creating psychologically safe teams. But if you were a team member and you said, hey, we could be a lot more psychologically safe here. We need to be able to say what we're thinking. We all shake our heads when the leader's talking and then we leave the room and we all go to the water cooler and have different opinions than we had at the meeting, whatever. You know, what could a team member do to help increase the likelihood that the team is demonstrating psychological safety. Do you have you know one or two ideas that a team member, and you're not the, the authority of the team, right? You're just a typical average team member who has this great insight. You know, what could they do a little bit differently to help influence this more positive, impactful nature of operating? Well, I love that you brought that up. Psychological safety has been at the core of our work for almost 30 years. And in fact, I, I think I almost have a whole chapter devoted to that. And the, if you look at what psychological safety is, you know, the technical definition is the ability to, you feel like you can speak up without feeling like you're going to be ridiculed or it's going to be hurt in some way. But there's a, there's a neuroscience backdrop to it. There's part of the brain that shuts down when it doesn't feel safe and safe is, is the ability to, you know, it, it comes from the physical safety first. Right, so we we were, we're we have we have a negativity bias where we're constantly searching for the negative for our own survival, but if we are triggered in some way with a level of cortisol that rises based on either perceived threat, physical, and or psychological, the part of the brain shuts down the rest of the brain that deals in logic. And so when we're thinking about that perspective, it comes from a physical response that now we're in a modern world that we still respond the same way because stress is at the core. And critical environments are stressful. Ridicule is stressful. Humiliation is stressful. Feedback can be stressful. And so the way that you reduce or create safety is three things, structure, order, and predictability. And so when you can create structure, order, and predictability, you're walking in a room, the lights are out. But before you went into that, we turned the lights on in and we showed you on the floor, a little path. And when you grab this rope on the side, as long as you follow that rope, you're going to be just fine. Now we turn the lights on, you have some structure, order, and some predictability. You'll gladly walk in that dark room. But if you say, hey, walk in the room, figure it out, my whole brain goes into survival mode. This isn't the time to think about strategic planning in the future. This isn't the time to think about innovation, creativity. This is the time to, am I going to make it out of that room alive? It's the only thing the brain is thinking. It's like, you know, the leaders, we, we used to watch this all the time. They'd announce massive layoffs. X companies lay off 10,000 people. We don't know who they are yet, but we wanted to let the investors know, the, the Wall Street know that we're, we're taking some action here. Well, you, you have 100,000 people that just went into a psychologically unsafe environment. Feeling, is it going to be me? Now, those that are secure might do one of two things. Ah, no, it's not me. But if they're secure with a conscience, they might go, you know what? I'm sick of this company doing this. I'm going to, you know, that recruiter called me last week. I'm going to give him a call back. It is never a good idea to create that in business. You don't want to do that in, in, uh, in a sales process. 
You don't want to do that in consulting process. Well, it's X amount of dollars. Well, what am I getting for that? Well, when they say, what am I getting? That means that you haven't outlined what the deliverable is. And so psychological safety, structure, order, predictability. And a lot of those things come back with, even how I started is listening and honoring people before you start. Hey, I really value you as a leader. And the reason I chose to be here is because you, what I gained, what I felt was that it was a safe environment for me to speak and, and, and challenge. I just want to confirm that's true. And I, I value as a leader. And one of the reasons I came to, so is that there's a lot of value and validation in that, which creates less of a threat, creating more safety. But if I just start attacking, it doesn't work. I mean, we've known this. That's a sequence in the brain. We don't start in, what's the first rule of brainstorming? Every idea is a good idea. There are no bad ideas. Why? Because a critical environment shuts down the creative parts of the brain. Simple. We know this. Well, I love in our conversation today, Renee, that you have role modeled some ways to start this conversation, right? Where you're prepping and planning to give people feedback that might be hard for them to hear. So I encourage our listeners to listen again to the podcast recording to hear a couple of times where Renee has shared, you know, how to enter into this conversation so you're not being surprising and disruptive. And Renee, it has been great chatting with you today. And thank you for your thoughts and observations about bravery at work and psychological safety. And if people want to talk more or read more about the work that you're doing and find out more about your organization, how can they do that? Uh, well, one, thank you for having me on here. And I love that you're taking on such a great topic in business that's needed today. I mean, it's uh, bravo and continue the work. Uh, you can find me at meetrene.com, M-E-E-T, Renee, R-E-N-E.com. That's where you can find our book. We have a free podcast and lots of other ways that we can connect, especially on social media as well. See Renee speak, uh, Instagram. Fantastic. Well, Renee, thank you once again for being a guest on Be Brave at Work. Thank you, Ed. And to our listeners, thank you for joining us today. And we hope you join us on our next podcast conversation as we further explore being brave at work. We also remind you to subscribe to our podcast at BeBraveAtWork.com and or download and listen to our podcast on multiple online platforms. We are everywhere. Our podcast today was sponsored by Cabot Risk Strategies, whom you can reach at 800-222-5963 or visit them for more information at CabotRisk.com. And a reminder to check out my new book, Drive Your Career, Nine High-Impact Ways to Take Responsibility for Your Own Success, which is available in paperback, on Kindle, and in audio everywhere online. Do you have something to say, yet are not saying it? Do you have something to do, yet are not doing it? Now is the time to be brave at work. Have a great week.